From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Welcome to the WLEI Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Savas with the Lean Enterprise Institute. And today I talk with Jennifer Trask and Brittany Hetherington from Miller Knoll. Jennifer is the director of the Miller Knoll Performance System for Business Processes and their dealer network. And Brittany is a continuous improvement coach for Miller Knoll's dealer network. Miller Knoll began its transformation journey in the 90s under the guidance of TSSC, and for nearly three decades, it's maintained a model production system churning out its famous furniture like the Aeron chair. Over the course of the conversation, we discuss Miller Knoll's approach to developing people and how it's extended lean principles beyond its four walls into its dealer network. Jennifer and another colleague, Jody Marlink, will lead a learning session on that very topic at the Lean Summit on March 19th to 20th in Carlsbad, California. Head over to lean.org summit to learn more. Now, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the WLEI podcast. I'm your host, Matt Savas, and today I'm joined by Jennifer Trask and Brittany Hetherington from Miller Knoll. Uh, Jennifer and Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Matt. All right, we'll start off as we always do with just some introductions. Uh, Jennifer, could you share a little bit about yourself and what you do at Miller Knoll? Sure, Matt. I am the director of the Miller Knoll Performance System for what we call the last mile and business process areas. Uh, last mile working with our dealers, business process, internal business, anything outside of manufacturing, really. Uh, and been with the organization for almost 20 years and a part of MKPS for about 15. Okay. And Brittany, yourself. Yeah. So I have been with Miller Knoll for about nine years with the Miller Knoll Performance System team uh, for three years now, I think it is. And um, I am a continuous improvement coach for our dealer network working for Jennifer Trask. Okay. And I think, you know, most folks are familiar with the name Herman Miller. Many are still learning the new name, Miller Knoll, but maybe Jennifer, can you walk us through the business of Miller Knoll and uh, you know how, how it all works together? Sure. The Miller Knoll is the broader organization and what formed from the merger of Herman Miller and Knoll. Both brands are still in existence. Miller Knoll is now a collective of brands that makes and sells products for homes, offices, healing spaces, as well as educational settings. So within the Miller Knoll organization, we have the Herman Miller brand of products as well as the Knoll brand of products. And when you say you've been with the company for 15 or so years, you grew up inside of Herman Miller and now it's Inside of Herman into... Miller, yes. That's that's really where our, um, I'll say, our lean capability was built, was inside of Herman Miller. That's exactly why I wanted to mention that because I suspect some of our listeners will be familiar with the Herman Miller lean story now, Miller Knoll, but... Um, it's uh, it is a model company on the production floor space, and Jennifer, you're responsible for overseeing all business business processes. Is that how you refer to it? So everything that's not manufacturing, that's what you oversee. Yes. So I have a team that works in the to to support business process spaces as well as working with our dealer partners, uh, like that. What Brittany does within the last mile. So um, Miller Knoll is, uh, like I said, it, it has uh, a history. 
Uh, it Miller, I'm mixing it up now. I'll probably have to do some editing here. Okay. But Herman <laughs> Miller originally started working with TSSC some in the 90s. Yeah, 1996. I've, 1996. And I was for, fortunate to participate in a week-long uh, exercise, the manufacturing experience. Is that how you call it, Jennifer? Management system experience. Our Management MSC. system experience. And uh, it's a, it was a spectacular experience for me. I got, I got to understand how... Uh, Miller Knowles production system worked inside of one particular factory where their famous Aeron chair is made. And uh, it's a tremendous production operation. And I'm curious, I don't want to focus on sort of technical production stuff. I'm more interested in the people development side of things, which Miller Knowles puts a huge emphasis on. And I'm curious, Jennifer, could you kind of walk us through the philosophy the company has around building capability, how it develops people? I think this is a great question, Matt. Um, I know there's been a lot of recent press around lean uh, and people leaning out organizations and mm. using lean to cut jobs and things of that sort. Um, and it really is kind of the opposite of that uh, at its core. Uh, and that's part of why Herman Miller really gravitated to the Toyota production system and 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 lean because it was about taking our people, our most valuable asset, which I'll say early days at Herman Miller, you know, it was always about servant leadership and things like mm -hmm. that with our people. Um, so this really aligned with the values. And so it's about taking our people, that most valuable asset, and further investing in them to build this capability to improve to make things better for our customers and for our people. Um, and so I'll say when it first started, uh, you know, it was much less formal than it is now. We've developed some pretty formal development programs for our people. We've got um, uh, programs that we call Bridge and Propel that are about preparing people to be facilitators, uh, which are kind of those frontline problem solvers, preparing people to be work team leaders. We've also done a lot of work with Toyota around, you know, building capability in our managers uh, with their, you know, M3 learning that they do uh, and things like that. So we've also got boot camps that we run for, mm. you know, periodically for people to learn about MKPS within the organization uh, for manufacturing, but also others. Um, and then we'll do, you know, disparate learning depending on what, um, or discrete learning depending on what people have specific needs for within uh, their area of the business. Sometimes it's hard if I'm, um, I'll say, IT to learn doing things on the shop floor. So we try to, you know, maybe make it a little bit uh, more relevant. So, uh, so I'll say at its core, what was HMPS and is now MKPS is all about uh, engaging and developing our people to highlight and solve problems. And um, yeah, I think that's so important because uh, too often, like you were saying, a lot of people interpret this lean stuff as uh, cutting heads, just cutting costs. In fact, there was news recently at Spotify laying Spotify. off a bunch of its workforce. And I think the CEO said it's it's us getting lean. <laughs> I disagree with that approach. But uh, we've been lucky over the years to really get to know the folks at Miller Knoll and uh Chris Shire and Jill Miller, your colleagues, uh, they've developed tremendous systems to develop people. It's it's no it's not an accident that you have capable leadership on the shop floor. It's very intentional. And uh, I'm curious, maybe from Brittany, to hear about your experience. Uh, you joined Miller Knoll uh, out of 
college? Was it Michigan mm-hmm. State or Michigan University? Is that a sin to Michigan confuse those State. two? I'm from, New, I'm from New England, so I've Whoa. I really misunderstand everything. <laughs> those to do are with... fighting words. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were going to have fun here today. Uh, but what's what's been your experience in terms of your your development? You know, coming out of university and joining uh, Miller Knoll straight from there. Um, I will say I did my jobs backwards. Um, the learning that I've got gotten from the MKPS team and just becoming a continuous improvement coach is learning that I really wish I would have had in all of my prior jobs as a manufacturing engineer, as a uh, manufacturing process lead, somebody that is helping, um, if you think of new product operations, like helping bring new products into the manufacturing sites and helping influence the design of those products to better serve our people on the manufacturing floor. And what I did not realize was also our dealer network. Like there are a lot of things that I wish I would have, uh, the learnings that I wish I would have had in those prior roles that I now have. I will add on top of just, you know, doing my jobs backwards. Um, when I started at Miller Knoll or from formerly Herman Miller, I had a lot of eight step problem solving training or what I think you guys talk about a lot at LEI is like the A3 um, mm-hmm. problem solving approach. I had a lot of that development in my earlier roles at Herman Miller and I kind of thought that was all that HMPS at the time was. Mm. Um, even though I worked every day in the manufacturing plants and was around all of the tools and the systems that we've built um, with Toyota. And now being in this role, I see it is truly a part of our culture and DNA and how work flows throughout the plants. And, you know, we're building things to a customer order. We're not just building for inventory. Mm. How we present parts to people. It is truly everywhere. Um, and so I, I got some development, but uh, now in this role, uh, having the full kind of perspective of what HMPS is, MKPS, we use them synonymously. Uh, well, <laughs> M- M- MKPS, we're referring to the Miller Null production system. So performance uh, system. Perfor- oh, performance yes. system. It is okay. outside of production as well. It is much more than that. When we switched over to Miller Null, we changed it to the Miller Null Performance System, uh, not just because we changed our name uh, to Miller Null, but because we were truly doing that work within Null as well. So we've mm-hmm. had Toyota come and work with operations leadership within Null. We've got model lines built within Null. We're developing those people and our team members that are at Null. So it only made sense to change the name over to the Miller Null Performance System. I will say, Matt, it was when we first started the Herman Miller production system um, and our CEO, as we were looking to take it to, you know, some of those business process areas, dealers, things like that, um, he was recognizing we were getting a fair amount of pushback from people saying this is a production thing. It doesn't apply to me. Um, And so that's when we changed it to the Herman Miller performance system. Um, And I'll say, um, you know, I, I think that helps because i mean there can be uh you know just some some bias to this is a manufacturing thing one thing there's I'll huge add bias to, yes everybody oh, thinks uh that, it's just a manufacturing thing and uh to our endless frustration here at the lean enterprise institute we do our <laughs> best to convince people that these ideas are applicable everywhere 
but yes, uh, people often confront you saying, oh, this is a manufacturing thing. It's it's not for us. So wise decision probably to change the name to performance system. Sorry, Brittany, I, I cut you off there. Oh, no, I just going back to development. Um, when I started as an MKPS coach, I had the mentality of give me two weeks, give me all of the onboarding and then set me free. Let me be independent and I'll get this because this is how I normally jump into new roles. Okay. And I was met pretty strongly <laughs> with that is not how we do it here. It is continued development. It is a year's worth of onboarding and then continued onboarding. And it was a tough pill to swallow. And the longer I've been in it, the more that makes total sense. And we're constantly looking for opportunities to develop, looking for opportunities to grow our understanding, talking to our team members that um, have recently retired. Their feedback to me was, you're always going to feel like you have gaps and there's opportunities to improve. That feeling doesn't go away. I still have that feeling and I'm a month from retirement. And so it's something that you just have to get comfortable with. And it's, I think, a part of the spirit of the role that we're in as coaches on just that growth mindset and it's not a here's your one course development plan it is every day all the time where can i highlight my own gaps and go after them well in, in my uh, interactions with the folks at uh, miller knoll i've always been struck by that the enthusiasm for learning and uh, i don't know if dissatisfaction is the right word that sounds probably too negative but uh the 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 sense that there's always something to learn uh, somewhere to grow, and uh, it's it, it does seem like it's pervasive throughout the organization. It's a it's a kind of vibe that exists inside there, and it's a very positive one. But I do I do want to jump into some of the specific work that you're all doing these days. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, uh, you work with dealers. These are the folks who are uh, working with the end customers uh, who are using Miller Knowles furniture a company, say Google or somebody buys an office and they need to outfit it with furniture. They're going to work with a dealer. But uh, you have been working on improving some of the installation processes. But before going into some of that improvement work, can you give us kind of the lay of the land about you know how it all works together, the relationships between the customer, the dealer, Miller and Ole, and just the process of how that all unfolds? Yeah, thanks. So we have um, dealers, I'll say, you know, all over the country, but really all over the world. I, I, I'm going to give you this number, Matt, but now I can't remember exactly how many. But um, we we in uh, the U.S. Um, have what we call certified dealers as well as authorized dealers. Um, we've got dealers in Latin America, uh, overseas in Europe and Asia. Um, so we really have a presence all over that is intended to be the local relationship with the customer. Um, and so they really are an extension of Miller Knoll. They're responsible for, you know, kind of understanding those client needs, helping design the space, um, managing the project to execute the, on that uh, furniture or that installation of that furniture. And then they are responsible for the installation or the final assembly of the furniture when it arrives to that customer space. Um, and so uh, they are integral in our uh, process. If we don't have our, our dealers, we don't really have our customers. Um, and so uh, we recognized, I'll say, honestly, I think it was like about 12, 13 years ago that there was this opportunity where 
we had done a lot of work to build operational excellence capability in manufacturing and not saying that our dealers weren't doing a good job. Our dealers, I mean, you know, credit to them. They make Miller and Ole look good. Um, they're, they work really hard. They always have. Um, but we had the benefit of this coaching from Toyota on how to take a different approach to things. And we saw that there might be the opportunity to do that with our dealers as well. Um, with how they were executing uh, on this final assembly. Um, as we got into it, you know, made a lot of improvements. We've also moved upstream within the dealer. So it, it, it starts at that point closest to the customer with that installation or final assembly. But then it moves upstream into project management and order entry and design and sales. Hmm. So the team really works with um, the, the whole dealer organization to build this continuous improvement capability. But we really focus kind of first um, and primarily with, I'll say, that installation and then then upstream. Okay. So are you saying that Miller & Noll will actually work with dealers on designing the actual space the customer is going to be well, using? That's well, a, that's a whole other thing. We do have people that help them with designing the space that's a part okay. of a, another part of our organization. We've got designers on staff. We've got a lot of support resources for their designers. But my team, that last mile team, we will actually help them with, you know, building a continuous improvement capability in their design department. So yeah. how can we help them oh, solve problems and um, how can we help them build quality into the process and um, things of that sort? If you think about what Toyota did with us, helping us create HMPS in built a system within our organization, mm -hmm. we as last mile coaches are essentially doing the same then for the dealers and how can we long-term goal hopefully spread MKPS into your organization that starts at one point and then spreads upstream but it's building that full system again hopefully some people don't necessarily that's not the dream is to get enterprise wide but um, it is building a full system and culture and, you know, helping them with the tools and shifting maybe their approach on people. But um, yeah, in every point within the value stream within their organization, working to build that model. Okay. So why, why did you think that was important to do in the first place? Well, I think a couple of things. One, uh, because they are an extension to us, um, if if we were making all these improvements in our manufacturing process, you know, just in time, you know, having standard processes, all of these kinds of things, but then product gets to the job site and um, I'll say perhaps maybe in some cases it wasn't necessarily executed to the level that it could be. That really is how people would see Herman Miller at the time, right? It's Herman Miller at the time. And, and so they weren't necessarily in all cases seeing us as operationally excellent because that's still kind of operations there, right? And so there was this desire to how do we have operational excellence throughout this value stream? Because we also have the first mile that works with our suppliers. That's a whole other group um, to help them build these capabilities because they're integral to our manufacturing uh, processes. So we really wanted this entire value stream for our customer to be operationally excellent. Um, so that was one part. I think the other was the timing of it. Um, so I said 15 years, this was 2008. Um, and there was a lot going on in the economy at that time. <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't the greatest time. No, no. And so um, so these are small businesses. These are small business owners. And um, again, we were really fortunate to have this learning from Toyota that helped our business. 
And our organization's leaders really saw an opportunity to help um, some of these businesses like maintain existence or maintain financial solvency a little better by having this capability built into their organization. Um, so it really was kind of a, a pay it forward, but to help with um, kind of some of the business conditions that dealers were facing at that time as well. So working with a dealer is, I'm sure, different than working internally inside of Miller Knoll because uh, you actually probably don't have you don't have any formal authority, no managerial authority over the people that you're working with. These are independent businesses. Brittany, you, you work directly with the dealers. I'm curious about the approach. You know, I think a lot of companies they struggle with change internally. You know, must it's a whole different thing when you're trying to exercise change externally. And I'm curious about the approach that you take to convince dealers that this is worth pursuing and engage them in a way that's ultimately successful. Yeah. Um, I think you hit it spot on. Uh, it's leading and influencing with uh, a lot of indirect authority. Mm -hmm. It's not like they don't report to me. There's no actual incentive. It is how do I build relationships and build trust and truly get people to understand like what is my driving force and why am I trying to do this? I want them to be successful. I'm on their team. Um, I, I think I had a lot of that experience just in my past jobs, leading teams indirectly in manufacturing, same approach. It's not the same approach uh, dealer to dealer because everybody's different. So it is truly meeting each dealer leadership team, team member, depending on where you're plugging in first, meeting them where they're at, truly understanding what is it, what are their pain points? What are the things they're seeing? Hopefully building that relationship where I can start to share with them what I'm seeing. Um, so sometimes it is a lot of very honest conversations of there's something in the culture that we need to fix and that's what we have to go after first or let's start, culture's great, let's dive into the tools, but it is it all just boils down to communication and building trust in relationships. And that's something that is much easier in person. Uh, we work in a hybrid model. So uh, you're starting off more often than not virtually building these relationships. And I think you normally feel it gain momentum once you go out there and make your first trip and actually spend good time with the people that you've kind of been meeting with virtually. Um, and then establishing that cadence you know, from there on out of a mix of virtual and in person. But I, anyone that I'm met with uh, some resistance, it seems to get better once we spend some actual time in person. And those are my favorite types of people. I, I get the skepticism. So let's work together and let me understand why you're skeptical. And then we can uh, figure out how to move past it. I, they're the subject matter expert. I'm just the coach with MKPS continuous improvement experience to kind of help them along their way. And in terms of the actual practical improvement, I know Miller Knoll, uh, there's a model line approach used where you, you, you have a place to go see and learn and conduct pretty radical production improvement. I'm curious, is that a similar approach you take with the dealers where you have a project, a commercial project where you're going and doing hands-on improvement or what's the method of uh, actually uh, building the capability of, of a dealer? I'll take this one, Matt, just to start and then I'll um, toss to Brittany too. But 
Um, when we first started, I'll, I'll say to kind of talk about the piece with Brittany in the virtual, when we first started, we were working with just a few dealers, right? So, I mean, I was going to a few different dealers trying to establish them as the models. And so they became kind of the models as we then started to take on other dealers. Within the dealer themselves, we try to kind of build a model team. Um, ideally, maybe that's like, you know, a supervisor, project manager, designer, kind of value stream team, but those change a lot project to project. Um, so oftentimes it's, you know, we're starting with like a couple installation supervisors to be the models. Um, but I'll say, um, you know, that can vary dealer to dealer, but we try to build a model inside of the dealer itself um, now because we have a lot more dealers. So we have, um, <laughs> we work with 38 dealers right now. Um, we've got a lot more than 38 dealers. We've got a waiting list for a whole bunch more that want our help. Um, so I will say what maybe started initially with trying to convince dealers now has become, um, you know, a pretty great program where we've got a lot of pull, um, which we really, uh, you know, value and is a credit to the work that the team does, um, that there is that much desire to have the help. Um, is that, how did you generate the excitement around that where dealers are actually asking for your help? Do you, do you broadcast what you're doing or how yeah, does that so, work? so we have, you know, dealer conferences where we've presented, okay. Um, out, we do a couple dealer conferences a year, one that's more kind of like operations or um, I'll say, uh, you know, not the owners of the organization, the leaders um, out, outside of ownership. And then there's an ownership conference. So we've, we've done that. We've shared results. Um, and, and it's, a, I'll say for as many dealers as we have, it's still a small community. Um, they mm. talk a lot, they hear a lot. And so when things are good, you know, it spreads. Um, internally or just chatting with each other. Exactly, and, exactly. We've okay. got, you know, a, 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 an advisory council for some dealers that, um, you know, is pretty influential uh, or with some dealers that is pretty influential in our dealer network. And, you know, they talk about it. So, um, so yeah, I think just kind of, you know, some of those initial results really were highlighted. And then um, as more of our larger dealers started to see results um, and uh, interest spread. Well, I'm curious to, if it's possible, to talk about some a specific example to to kind of illustrate this for the listeners. You know, construction's a messy business; uh, it's complicated, and uh, you know, you start with a few model dealers, and now that's grown. You're working with 38 and more, asking for help. You've obviously achieved some results for dealers to want more and more help. And um, I'm curious: is there is there an example that comes to mind? That you think, wow, yes, we we like hit it out of the park with this one. Yeah, so I'll give a, a big project example, and then I'm going to have Brittany talk about um, what our dealers do for smaller things that kind of go through their warehouse. So there's kind of two different paths product can take from Miller Knoll. It can ship direct to a customer site if it's a really large project, um, and if not, it'll go to the dealer warehouse. They'll kind of consolidate things, and then they will at some point deliver and install that product. So for the large project, um, if we think about kind of the way uh, traditionally that that might be done um, is I, I would oftentimes look at, say it's a floor of furniture, right? So I, I've got Google and it's a floor of furniture that we're putting into Chicago, right? Um, they, there's, uh, not to get too technical on all of our products, but there's a lot of pieces that go into those workstations, right? Um, and they are very sequential, right? Like it, the, you need things um, in an order in order to be able to assemble them. 
There's also the component of bringing in the data uh, to those workstations as well as the electrical. Um, so uh, many want like hardwired data cabling um, as well as electrical into those workstations so people can plug in their computers and their phone chargers and things like that, right? Um, so there's some technical components to that, which again, credit to the designers who figure all that stuff out. Um, but when we think about taking a just-in-time approach to that versus a traditional approach, a traditional approach would be, I'm going to kind of bring a lot of stuff on that first day and fill that space with a bunch of boxes of furniture and a bunch of boxes of hardware. And I'm going to have a bunch of people and we're going to just figure out how we're going to, you know, like, get uh, these, these stations built. Like an Ikea party. You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> like Christmas morning, Christmas morning, a bunch yeah. of kids just <laughs> ripping open their boxes. Yeah, we don't I'll know say, what's trash. So we've definitely made a shift with packaging over the years. We're now focused on the environmental aspects, and we even now have a goal of eliminating single use plastics from our packaging materials as a whole. Um, but yes, it's there's all sorts of trash. There's all sorts of packaging. So I'll say two things that we've done. One is working with the dealers on, you know, how they sequence those products, how they order it, how it comes from us. So it is more just in time and they get what they need when they need it. So there's not as much space or as many people needed at the beginning. The other piece that I'll say is really key is at with Herman Miller, where we started this work, we've done a ton of work with how we send our product. So being out at those job sites, we saw how um, you know, we're sending everything individually packaged and there's all this, you know, packaging waste that's clogging up the space, the elevators. Think about something being on the 52nd floor. I got to get all that packaging up and I got to get it all down. So there's just a lot of waste built into that process. Um, and so um, we really looked at how we could package things differently so that we were sending less packaging waste to the dealers, setting them up for success and have done a ton of bulk packaging and things like that over the years to be able to do that um, and are now starting to do that within the Null brand as well um, so that our dealers see that same benefit with the Null products that they get. Um, so that, that I think, you know, sets them up for success as well as then the pre-planning of how they're receiving the product. Um, the other piece is then instead of maybe batching the installation of the furniture, we try to work towards more of like a, a, a sort of a cluster or a section of workstations at a time so that they're not taking so many trips, bringing product and, and assembling things together. Um, it was very much a, a batch mentality. Now, there's a little bit of, of challenge there with like that data and electrical. Sometimes they have to batch some things in order to do that, but still try to do as much of kind of the one cluster at a time if we can after we get that in process. Um, and so seeing some pretty, you know, significant reduction in the amount of time that it takes, um, you know, or in some cases, depending on the product, um, maybe it's product that um, is a little bit more labor intensive. Um, it's really just making it so that it's a better experience on that job site. It's safer. There's less, you know, packaging waste. There's a lot more coordination with those other trades, a lot more flexibility. Um, and it's, most importantly, making the work easier for the installers and removing that struggle for the people. Um, so, you know, one of the things I noticed early on is, you know, the installers are getting up and down on their knees like all day long trying to install things. 
And so how do we, you know, get the products where they need them, the way they need them so that they're not um, having to dig around for things and, you know, in boxes and getting up and down from their knees as much. Well, as, as you were describing this, that was my first impression. This sounds a heck of a lot easier than just dumping a bunch of stuff, not the you know, bringing a load of furniture and then unpacking it all at once. And um, a surefire way to get people to want to work with you is to make their lives easier, especially physically easier. If it makes the job just simpler to do, safer to do, um, that's a way to get some quick, uh, quick engagement from from people. It is. I, you know, I, I think there's a big opportunity for um, making the work more uh, value added for those installers, right? Um, spending a lot of time unboxing things. And I mean, we had people who the only tool they were holding was a box cutter, um, which you've got people who in some cases have gone to carpentry school um, who are union installers, you know, been trained in this and and they're operating a box cutter. So, you know, trying to reduce the amount of time they have to do that so they can quickly get to the value added portion. Um, I'll say early days, uh, we were fortunate enough to have um, uh, Hajimi Oba, who used to be the president of uh, mm. Toyota Supplier Support Center, come to an install site with us when we were first starting to kind of cut our teeth with all this. And he had us kind of take everything um, and, you know, unbox it, have it the way the installer needed it, and really, truly try to measure what was that value added time. And, you know, it was... <laughs> a very small percentage of the amount of time that maybe had been quoted for that job because there's just inherently so much waste. And it's no fault to the installers or the dealer. It was a lot and just kind of how we've either designed our products to go together, which is wasn't intentional. It's just sometimes a complicated way it has to go together or the way that we've packaged it and, and things like that. So it's just putting well, I really a thought appreciate, into. appreciate that side of it too. You know, a lot of companies are trying to figure out, you know, what's going wrong on the customer side of things, if if they're supplying the good, but maybe not installing it or delivering it to the customer, and uh, the the easy thing to do is to just blame the 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 company or the person who's doing that final delivery. But going through the trouble of understanding, you know, what what could we be doing differently to help this? You know, reflecting internally, trying to understand the real problems, is uh, I think. Uh, not enough companies take the time to do that. So I talked about that large project example, Matt, where you know we're going to the job site where we're delivering the product directly, that kind of thing. But the other piece is then we're it's a smaller project that's going through the dealer warehouse where they're going to have to receive everything from uh, Miller Knoll in their warehouse and then get that product out to site to install it. And I'll say our dealers have done some really great work applying this thinking um, there as well. So Brittany, maybe you can talk about uh, what our dealers are doing with that. Yeah. Um, I think you touched a little bit throughout the large project on customer experience and the notion of getting our team members what they need, when they need it, how they need it. They take that same approach and thinking into these small projects. Um, and it isn't the same across every job. It is not a copy and paste. It is, let's look at each job. What product do we have? What are the site restrictions? What resources do we have to build ahead of time? And let's make a plan for this job. You have to look at what's the space you're working in and what makes sense because we want to make sure we're protecting the team member. 
and we're keeping the integrity and the quality of the product. So that's where it's, we have these standards, maybe ideal standards that we might want to see if we can do across every job, but we need to be flexible and uh, look at it at a higher level on what makes the most sense to keep everybody safe, people and product. Um, but hmm. how can we still apply this thinking where it, where it works? Matt, I'll say it's often easier if we have a recipe, right? And <laughs> right. I'll say that's off, that's for sure. More often than not, what the dealers are asking us is, you know, just tell us we do it and we'll Best do that, practice. right? Come on. <laughs> but the way that we talk about it is that this is a way of thinking. It's an approach, right? Yep. And I'm going to look at all of the variables for this project and say, whether that's the space, as Brittany said, the product, the people, the schedule, all those things and say, what is the way that I can do this in the least waste way that meets the customer expectation and, you know, is easiest for our teams? A situational approach you're taking. Exactly. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of companies strive to do this sort of thing or want to figure out how to work better with their with their customers. You know, what would you say is, you know, how would you get started with something like this? What's What's the... What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? I don't know, Jennifer, if you've had any reflections on that over your 15 years of trying this. Definitely. Because I'll say we have taken a couple different approaches over the years, right? When we first started and we saw some gains, um, I'll say, you know, our leaders were really quick to say, how can we get this out to as many people as possible? And so let's give the recipe or let's give the playbook and say, let's do this, right? Um, and so we've had to take a, a, a sh- you know, a, a step back and shift our approach over the years. And the approach that we're taking now is very much, you know, dealer to dealer. How do we go inch wide, mile deep with that dealer um, and build that capability? Um, and so I think, you know, when when we looked at it, it was really like, what is uh, the business need. What is the what are the biggest pain points? What are the biggest struggles and challenges for the people? I think anywhere that we've applied MKPS, that's how we approach it because we know we'll get buy-in, and that's that's really yeah. what this is about. Again, we want to engage and develop those people so that they're the ones making these improvements, not us. They're the experts, right? And so we just want to coach them on the approach to take that to take for that, so that. Um, you know, we can hopefully get the best results for the customer, the people, the organization. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the biggest lesson here is start with what the pain points are and really um, focus on how you can uh, engage and develop those people as quick as possible. Well, maybe one last question. How much of this, well, how much of the improvement is the dealer doing versus say uh, an MKPS person like Brittany onsite working at the dealer? Uh, so to say, Brit- Brit- Brittany, maybe can answer that one, but I, I'd say for me, it, it the goal is I'm doing very little of the improvements, right? That it is the dealer that we are enabling to make these improvements, and and our goal is um, that they, you know, don't need us very much, just to kind of help keep you know the the wheel from sliding back down the hill, if you will. Um, that we're continuing to kind of push and and challenge and coach them. Um, but that they have built a, a team of people who can make those improvements. Um, I think Brittany uh, has a great example from a dealer that is one of our most advanced dealers and like what they're doing with their teams to engage their teams to solve the problem. So 
Um, maybe Brittany, you want to speak to uh, what the team in, in Colorado is doing right now? Yeah, I think just echoing what you said a little bit, like if, if I'm solving all their problems, I'm going to forever be solving all of their problems. Mm. The goal is to kind of put them almost into maintenance mode because we've trained and developed people in the leaders and their leaders are now um, developed enough to start training that next group down in their individual team members. And so um, I have, I actually have a couple dealers that have been taking this approach of looking at their onboarding process to start that development and problem solving and that commitment to problem solving very early on to say, welcome to the company. This is what we believe in. This is our approach. This is what our expectations are of you. Um, I say that I think till I'm blue in the face with a lot of dealers, like you don't have to all be experts at problem solving and MKPS, but we do have these expectations that everybody is following standards with that. You need to understand why standardized work is important and why it is beneficial. So following your standards, highlighting problems in the moment, and then participating in some level of problem solving. So again, you don't have to be leading it, but the goal is that everybody understands the value in the person experiencing the problem, having them participate in the problem solving because they are the subject matter expert. Um, So we have some dealers that are just introducing those topics at onboarding kind of phases within uh, their company. I've got a couple dealers that have been experimenting with their own problem solving groups and cohorts um, where you've got kind of a leadership representative, whether that's like a design leader, project management leader, um, and you are getting kind of peer nominated within that organization to be uh, put on this cohort and then you together in this cross-functional team, you are solving a problem together. So I actually have two dealers that are doing this successfully. Um, and it's uh, just another way to show that commitment to problem solving, develop people by doing. Um, it's one thing for me to kind of take a group through problem solving, which we do often, but to have that next level of leadership at a dealer, be competent enough and developed enough to be able to do that as well, kind of on top of me is phenomenal because that growing in that, uh, that spread is so much further than just me doing all of the work. So that's the goal is to coach myself out of a job so we can then take on more dealers. <laughs> I think it's a, you know, it's, it's an important point to make, you know, if, you, if you're not focused, if you're only focused on solving problems and not focusing on pro- developing the capability to solve problems, like you said, you'll be the one solving problems for the rest of your life. And so uh, taking a situational approach to these dealers and focusing on capability development by improving improving the work is, uh, it sounds like, if there were a recipe, that's not really a recipe, <laughs> but if there were a recipe, that sounds like about what it is. That, that's a that challenge a too. It's as a hands-on, do-it-myself type of person, it is a gap that I've highlighted in my own coaching capabilities on how do I how do I take my hands-off approach a little bit more, push more accountability and push that development kind of down to the next group within the dealership? It's because it's not natural. You want to dive in and you want to solve the problem, but then you're the person that does it every time. So constant. Yet another there. demonstration of the uh, 
constant growth mindset <laughs> at Miller Knoll there. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, uh, that was great. I think there are a lot of takeaways uh, for folks uh, who are trying to do this. You know, it's not easy to do. It's one thing to make change internally. It's very different to make change uh, externally. And I hope folks are able to take away a few key lessons from this conversation. But uh, I want to thank you again, Jennifer and Brittany, for joining me here on the podcast. And I guess I'll see you in person in March at the Lean Summit, uh, where you're going to be talking more about this subject. So thank you for joining us uh, in Carlsbad next year. Thanks so much for having us, Matt. Thanks for the time. I'd like to thank Jennifer and Brittany for joining me on the podcast. Again, you can join us at the Lean Summit on March 19th and 20th to learn directly from Jennifer and her colleague Jody Marlink about how to extend lean thinking into your customer base. Head over to lean.org summit to learn more. And thanks to you all for listening. Until next time.